Um, did I tell you about the fact that I've been eating like ice cream cake? Not technically ice cream cake, but ice cream cake like every night. No. So I don't know if I told you this or if it had just I was going to tell you, but, you know, I'm obsessed with ice cream cake. Absolutely. Well, what I discovered was that you can just buy Peter's Neapolitan and it's exactly <gasps> the same. You told me this was your plan. Yeah, so that's what I've been doing now. I'm up to like my fifth punnet, but I've also bought the the little, the like hundreds the and thousands that are, yeah. yeah. The, you, know the, you know how it's different and they're like yeah. softer and they're longer anyway, so yeah. I bought that and it's just like having ice cream cake every night. Have you been having, so just, just Neapolitan ice cream. Neapolitan with the, so on the top of the ice cream cake is not like a different cream. It's just like, it's just like, I think it's like more whipped ice cream. So what I do is I just leave the ice cream out for a little bit. It becomes even creamier and it just is just the same, the same as ice cream cake. It's honestly the highlight of my life. I love that. Josephine. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. Welcome to my favourite musical. Thank you. The podcast that hasn't been on air for weeks and weeks. Several weeks. It feels like forever, doesn't it? Yes, it really does. (laughs) That's Josephine. That's Ruth. Mm. Before we get started, um, I want to... I want to do an acknowledgement of country. That's how we start. Yeah. But um, I did this amazing workshop at my work at the end of last term. So it's a while ago now with some local elders. Um, and one of the elders, Auntie Eileen, who ran one of the workshops, has really made me think about the way that we do acknowledgements of oh, yeah. country. Uh, and, like, they can become really tokenistic and meaningless. So she encouraged me instead to consider a personal and heartfelt acknowledgement of country. So here's my first try. Okay. I would like to acknowledge the beautiful place I call home. I want to pay my respects to the gorgeous sea eagle that circles my house every day, the sunshine we've had recently and the stunning Sydney red gums that line the shore of the lake I live on. That's wonderful. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, so it was just really it was a really great workshop because she was just talking about how um, like it's great that we want to acknowledge the traditional custodians um, and that's awesome and that is all still really valid but also just what are we doing? Like what are we thanking? Yeah, what are like, we saying thanks for? Like why, what is the point? <clears throat> that's right. And it really is about actually acknowledging yeah. the beautiful oh, it's country. country that yeah, we live that's in. right. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I love that. Thank you. Good on you, Annie Eileen. Yes, she's great. That was It was such a good a day boss. in my work organised. Like it was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's been some time. It has. Josephine and I were doing a show. Um. Yes. We opened and closed into the woods. We did. Um, it was magnificent and it was so lovely to be in the world of Sondheim for a stretch, but I was just mainly proud of my friend who Aww. made a hat when there never was a hat. Yes. This you did. Was, um, you did that. You made my a show. Little, my little production company that did the show. It was our first time. Josephine and I have done quite a few cabarets together over the last few years, but this was our first full production that I produced yes and directed and played the giant uh, and Josephine was a glorious witch it uh, was just like you are you should be so proud of yourself yeah for putting on a show I know it's crazy a good show I, I really I really won't do it <laughs> while these COVID restrictions are in place um it was too stressful again we ended up um, for those who aren't sort of personal friends of ours uh we ended up having to cancel our first weekend because our beautiful Cinderella got 
COVID. Um, it's a really cool phrase. I've been when people ask, I have to say like, "Oh, Cinderella got COVID." Cinderella got COVID. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, for obviously a lot of people out there will know Into the Woods. It's just not the sort of show you can have a casual no. understudy in, you no. know. And it's also just not the show the show that you can slot someone into. No, God, no. Uh, so it became apparent pretty quickly that we were going to have to cancel the shows until she was back. And then by some stroke of luck, yeah. no one else got COVID during the run. Yeah, that's right. So apart from missing that first weekend, yeah. everyone was fine. And then the day after we closed, everyone went down. It literally, like um, both my husband Andrew and um, Stuart who played our, our baker. baker both got COVID like the day after we bumped out. The baker's wife was a few days later. Yeah, I, and obviously, and my husband got I then got it. So, yeah. yeah, which is the reason we would have recorded a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but into the woods and then COVID. Into the woods and then COVID. And I'm here by some amazing miracle. Yeah, of not having it. And like it. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's it really just is everywhere at the moment and and of course if you get it you then have to isolate for 7 days. Yeah. So, yeah, I just um, hats off to anyone doing a show right now, really. I know. It's, I know. it's just a really stressful time and there's we just have no control over anything. So that was tough. I actually read um cuz in America, Actors Equity have a rule that if you test positive, I think you have to you can't go back to the show for 10 days. Really? And that's but the actual <clears> like kind of federal guidelines, if you will, is five days. And so there are people testing negative after five days but not allowed to return to their shows for another five days, which is killing a lot of these off-Broadway shows that can't really afford to have, like, heaps of understudies. Yeah, so they're sort of calling on Actors' Equity to reconsider that rule. Yeah, like I get wanting to keep people safe, but that that seems a bit crazy. Yeah, I think once you've tested negative, I think that's really the – that should be maybe the the yardstick. I don't totally. know. I mean, I'm not a, obviously not a health expert, but yeah, you're not. I know. What you know? What else has happened since we last recorded is the Tony nominations have been so, released. Oh wait, can I just tell my other piece of news? Yeah, a strange loop opened. Yes, which we hadn't talked about yet. Yeah, we talk about it so often on here, but like this is a really exciting time for Broadway. I think mm. that that strange loop is open. So. It's got some really great reviews so far. Like notices yeah. have been good. I'm sure you are feeling very bummed that you are not in Absolutely. New York at the moment. Um, and I just saw some like scathing reviews for Funny Girl. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to bring up, I I read this thing the other day that was just sort of talking about, um, and like I really feel for Beanie Feldstein. I do yeah. because clearly she's a very talented girl, but. The, the the sort of overriding sense seems to be that, like, vocally she's not up to the role, right? Yeah. Um, like, she has got good chops and everything, but just, like, her singing is not strong enough to play Fanny Bryce. Wow. And... Is it just that people can't look past Barbara Streisand? Like, Well, I think that that's part of it, but it's also, like, the reason maybe it hasn't been revived in so long is that, like, how many people are Barbara Streisand? Yeah, that's right. And... I actually read this interesting commentary that was basically saying that that's actually kind of a thing that's happening a bit on Broadway at the moment, which is her. Mm. There's a lot of reports of Katrina Lenk in company. Oh, yeah, I was going to bring that up. And, um, and to a certain degree, not in terms of, like, not being vocally strong enough, but, like, Sutton Foster mm. is not vocally appropriate not to be right. playing the music. Like, yeah. to be playing. Um, Meredith, is it? Or win of. Win- Oh, now I'm now I'm not wondering. Oh, I thought it was Meredith. Maybe you're right. I don't um know. In, Some the, lead. in the music man. Yeah. Yeah, the lead you know, the lead um woman. Uh, Marion? Oh yeah, Marion. Marion. Um and because like obviously she's supposed to be more of a legit soprano and, and that's not what Sutton Foster is. 
And yeah, there's just this sort of interesting thing where it's like, I don't know, because I also think about, and you know, it'll come up in the show we're talking about mm. today. I really felt this listening to the original cast recording. Mm. Again, like that never used to matter. No. It was more about like the performance that was being given and yeah. all those sorts of things. Yeah. And it like it does matter now. Yeah. And because I've been thinking about this, particularly with Katrina Link, because I feel very passionately about company and the role of Bobby particularly. And I just think like, oh, can't we do better? And then the flip side of that is that, well, does it really matter? Yeah. Um, and I don't know the answer to it, except that me as a performer would be like, well, yeah, like find, find someone who can sing it. Because mm. I will say like, you know, I saw Rosalie Craig yes. in London. I saw her twice. And I think I said to you at the time, I was like, she's not the best singer, mm. but she was a fucking incredible actress. Yeah. Like, yeah. and so it kind of didn't matter. Yeah. But what I've heard with Katrina Lank is that her, it's not that she's not a good actress, but like her portrayal is quite strange yeah and so the fact that she can't sing and people aren't like relating to her performance it's a double whammy yes i think that seems to be the the takeaway it's interesting well so the tony noms as ruth was saying have come out and that's really highlighted quite a few issues in some of the shows on broadway yeah and like a strange loop topped the list got 11 nominations and i think it will do very well i think so too which is great like i'm really happy about that that was a good news story for me because i was like i was it was so hyped up for me, um, so I'm really glad. My personal feeling is it will possibly take a lot from six. Like yeah. I would have said a few months ago, oh, six is a shoe in Yeah, no, I don't six know. Six is going to win all the awards. That's not the vibe I'm getting. No, yeah. me neither. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I thought like company got more than – than my impression yeah, was that it, it would get. doesn't necessarily seem to be doing that well. No. So, like, it, yeah, like I think it's very much agreed that it's inferior to the London – revival yeah. like certainly but yeah it did better in the nominations than I thought it would um and like I said I just don't think Katrina Lenk is a great fit um down the bottom of the list though with only one nomination is Diana for costume design yeah uh, Mrs Doubtfire for best leading actor for Rob McClure yeah and funny girl yeah not for best revival it just got best actor for Jared Grimes yeah best supporting even I think he's the tap dance yeah guy yeah so like but nothing for Ramin or nothing no, for and, and nothing for Beamy. Yeah, and not it's not even up for Best Revival. Yeah, like like the Music Man got more nominations than Funny Girl. Well, but I mean the Music and well actually because the Music Man just didn't necessarily get like rapturous reviews. No, it didn't. It. Yeah. But obviously it's doing very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. It's an interesting season anyway. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Watch the what, space. What surprised me was MJ and Paradise Square both yeah. getting a lot of nominations. Yes. So. There just hasn't been this the backlash against MJ that I was kind of expecting. Honestly, really was so disappointed by that. Yeah. Like, oh, and, well, we just, yeah. And then Paradise Square, it seems that like possibly <clears throat> might even this um, Joaquina mm. who's nominated, she's like one of the, the lead, she's like the lead in it, right, mm. who's obviously like an incredible performer. Um, she... Um, is supposed to be amazing in it, but the show itself has a lot of issues apparently yeah. and, like, is not doing well. But you know it's Garth Drabinsky. Yeah. So, so I, like, why is he back? Yeah, exactly. But I read the other day that it was capitalised at $13.5 million and everyone who's seen it is like, this. there's no way it only costs $13.5 million. Oh. Like, there's, they are doing something dodgy. It's very clear. Surely and they've already not... they've already reapplied for, like, a new capitalisation at $15 million, like, and it's opened. Like, mm. it's like, oh, can, like, come on, Garth. Like, <laughs> if you're being given this second chance, like, stop doing dodgy things. I know. Like, you've already got this shit name. Yeah. Yeah, wow. 
Not surprising though. No. Like, once a con artist. Yeah. Um, he should be he should be producing the music man, which is about a con artist. Yeah, indeed. Anyway. Interesting times anyway. Mm. Um, do you want to talk about a musical? Let's talk about it. Godspell. Yeah. What's your vibes? So I actually went into my research phase thinking that I liked Godspell. Oh, and now you think no? <laughs> now I don't. Yeah, right. Um, I just thought, like, in my head I thought, yeah, you like Godspell, you like the songs. I do still definitely like the songs. Yeah. But I certainly thought I appreciated it more than I do now. So um, in the research and the being immersed in the world of Godspell, it's made me realise it's not very good. Yeah, right. <laughs> so sorry. So, yeah, like, it's it's okay. It's got great songs. I've seen it, I think, maybe twice. And, like, I, I vaguely enjoyed they're both amateur productions. Yeah. I just don't – I didn't have very strong feelings going into it and now I realise that it is um, – it shouldn't be as popular as it is. Interesting. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, so um, I have a couple of random connections to this. Now, I, I've only seen it once, which was mm. the same amateur – one of the two yes, amateur productions Josephine's that... talking about, which was in the <clears throat> early 2000s. Yeah. Josephine and I were both teenagers and that production is still talked about to this day yeah. in our like local um, community theatre um, yeah, sort a bit of, of this, world. Like, or of, of, yeah, um, and it was amazing. Yeah. Like it was. It was amazing. Had and a great vibe. Had a great, great vibe. Yeah. And so I remember loving that. I remember just thinking, oh, my God, like yeah. this show's great. I've not seen it since. It doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't really get, get done, done yeah. that often in Australia, I find. Like and maybe I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It probably gets done a lot more in America, I would say. Mm. Um but what my real random connection to it is that I was technically a producer one of on the 2011 oh my gosh. Broadway revival. So basically the story <laughs> is what? I had been following producer Ken Davenport. We've talked about oh, him here Oh, you were one of these before. people. And I read all these Broadway World yeah. message boards about you. And so um, <laughs> Ken Davenport, I used to love his blog, The Producer's Perspective. Yes. I was a long-time reader. I, like, met him when he came out to Australia a couple of times. This is, like, uh, almost pre, like, me being at Playbill. Like, I wasn't really in the professional theatre world yes. yet. And just thinking this guy, oh, my God, like he's this guy giving all this insight into um, into the professional theatre and whatever. We have talked about that before on the podcast. Yeah, about his, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so it was 2000, I guess it was probably in 2010 or early 2011 that this came up. But, but essentially I had been given some money from my grandma when she passed away and – it was it was sort of with a caveat of like it had to be for something important or like mm. it could you couldn't just like you couldn't just spend the money right mm. and my grandma had been quite a like keen amateur investor herself and so That's when cool. this came up um I was like, oh, maybe this could be a cool thing to spend some of this money on. And so yeah, so we'll talk about it a little bit more when it comes to it. But mm. essentially, Ken Davenport's idea for this Broadway revival was that the show would have a community of investors since the show is about a community of people. Mm. So normally to invest in a Broadway show, you have to be what they call like an accredited investor, which basically means you have to have like a high net worth yeah. so that you're not just going to lose the money and lose your house, right? Like yeah. you can afford to lose that money. And normally that like minimum investment is like $25,000. Yes. So instead he filed all this extra paperwork so that the show could be invested in by non-accredited investors yeah. and instead much the, smaller the entry of money. level was a thousand US dollars. So I invested a thousand US dollars in that show. Yeah. 
there were seven, they called the, the, the group, the people of Godspell. That's what they sort of called. And there were 700 of those people. Wow. Uh, and they contributed 55% of the show's $5 million Broadway capitalization. Gosh. And roughly half of them contributed $1,000 each. <laughs> yeah. So it was a cool idea. It meant that we got, uh, got access to like all of the paperwork and everything, like seeing the investment reports. Yeah, cool. You could attend virtually um, advertising meetings, stuff like this. Um, so, yeah, you know, if you were someone that sort of wanted to know how that world worked, it was a really good like. It's a good way in. Yeah, a yeah. good sort of understanding of that. Like, yeah. I, it, Even just like I'd never seen like investment documents before and mm. I found that really interesting. Mm. Um, I was working at Playbill by then, but I'd only been there for about a year. So it was still early days. It's a really cool days. concept. Yeah, and I have to say like it hasn't really happened again. No, and that was my next question. He did cop a lot of flack. Like I'm sure those Broadway World message boards were pretty savage because they hate him anyway. They do. They, they, they really him. don't like that he doesn't do things. Yeah. I think they th- see him as dodgy. They and, do. And I think that there's there's an argument where it's like, is he dodgy or is he just trying to break the mould? Mm. I think you could say arguments both ways. But mm. I do really think he's passionate about theatre. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it was a cool thing. I mean, I it was very much like I did not expect to see a cent of it back. I think I got back about $100 of yeah. the 1000 something like that. Yeah. So it wasn't nothing, no. but obviously it was nowhere near. But that's cool. Like you, you produced a Broadway show. Yeah. So like, like, that's cool. My name was on, like they had the big list of all of the people outside the theatre. Mm. So like my name was on there. And also the liner notes that it's printed in the line. If you buy the oh, cast nice. recording, we're all printed in the liner notes of the cast Jeez, recording. that'd be a long, yeah. long booklet. I mean, they're tiny, tiny names, font. but yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, so it's cool. So that's my other... Connection. But you invested not because it was God's spell, but because it was a show yeah, that you could invest correct. in. Didn't right? really, it didn't. That didn't really like yeah. matter to me. Yeah. I was twenty four and a nerd, and you know, thought it was a cool idea. You basically. were a nerd. You yeah, used still to be am. a nerd. I continue to be a nerd. <laughs> that has not changed. Um, uh, do you want to tell us what's about? Yeah, look, uh, it's one of those terrible cop out ones where like it's there's not really a plot. Mm. So. Basically, look, it's it's a show that is based on the story of the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first of the four Gospels from the New Testament of the Christian Bible. Um, I'm glad you said what that is because I just kept reading that it was based on the Gospel of Matthew and I was like, I guess that's just one of them. Well, like, so it was only <laughs> Josephine knows so much more about well, the Bible As than I was I writing my notes and I just wrote Gospel of Matthew and then I thought, well, like, wait, let's not assume that people are like understand the world of Christianity, nor should they. Um, So, yeah, anyway, that's what it is. So it's technically the first book, um, which doesn't really mean much. The four Gospels, for those who don't know, are very similar. So they all have really similar stories. They were written for sort of different purposes. And this, it seems like what historians think they know about the Gospel of Matthew is that it was written with the purpose of sort of like explaining the life of of Jewish people at the time and particularly sort of like... um, not necessarily like excusing the behaviour of, of, of like Jewish hierarchy at the time in, in relation to how they treated Jesus, but it's more just sort of like contextualising that world. Yeah. So it's like each of the Gospels is, is the story of Jesus through a slightly different lens. That's how they're really presented yeah, in the Bible. Right. Yeah, So I don't, I don't know why it was chosen the Gospel of Matthew was the one that they were going to recreate. Is it specific to the like Episcopal... 
Because that was the whole, like, I know that um, John Michael Tabalak, I think yep. that's how you say it, the guy who created it. The guy it, who wrote it, yeah. He was, like, studying to be an Episcopal. He was thinking about becoming an Episcopal minister, so he just knew them all really well. Yeah, well, like, it, it's like if you were any sort of religious person, you would know the Gospels very well. Like, yeah, it's, okay. it's really the, the bread. He just and, picked that one. It's the bread and butter of, like, every. Yeah, okay. So all four. Yeah, like, it would just be, like, I think the Gospel of Matthew, and it's been many, many years since I've read the Bible, but the Gospel of Matthew does have more parables in it okay, than yeah. others. And, and that's, so that's what, what this show is. Yeah. So this show is really, it doesn't have a story necessarily. It's a series of parables, which are stories that Jesus told to his followers as told in the Gospels then to give some sort of message. Yeah. So God's Bell is just a series of parables. Yeah. Which is really just, yeah, telling a story in order to convey a message. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so the show opens um, on the a number that I think is really weird, the Tower of Babel. Yeah, we're right. to- I've, I've I've written You've a bit got about some thoughts, that, yeah. yeah. Which is like it's often omitted in productions, yeah. actually. But basically, it's like eight of the disciples um, are playing a range of philosophers, like famous philosophers. So uh, oh, I'm not going to list them, but anyway, they're singing about their various theories that they've come yeah. up with. In contrast, um, and it's quite confused and dissonant at times. Like it's a weird. Yeah, I don't care for it musically. I don't care for it. No, yeah. it's very other than the rest of the show. And it was not included on um, when they recorded the original That's right. cast it was album because they were like they wanted to like let's release it as a pop album. Yeah. So and of if, course, if if the album started with Tower of Babel, you would not listen to the You'd rest like, of it. Oh no, <laughs> this is not my jam. But yeah. if it starts with Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord, like yeah. sure, yeah, Fuck give yeah. it to me. So anyway, the show is set in New York in the seventies. It follows, like I said, the Gospel of Matthew fairly loosely. Like it's a fairly loose retelling. It tells yeah a range of lessons and morals through some of the parables, interspersed with musical numbers and dance numbers and games that the disciples and Jesus and play. So basically John the Baptist calls on people to follow Jesus. So John the Baptist is a character from the Bible who um, was basically, he was baptizing people, which, which in the Jewish faith was not like typical. He was like quite a revolutionary. So he was baptizing people. And the story goes that Jesus came along to be baptized. John the Baptist saw something in him and said, actually, no, you should be baptizing us. Like, like we don't baptize you. Like you are the son of God, whatever. Anyway, so John the Baptist starts it all off. He calls on people to follow Jesus, who tells the stories to teach the lessons. There are games that are played, like Jesus starts all these games that are like sort of like parlor games, I suppose. Um, they sing songs. And basically the the cast through the me- method of these stories transforms from like this ragtag bunch of people to a group of like yeah, loyal, loving. community, right? Yeah, a community yeah. And, and, yeah, disciples. And so like the whole, the use of the Jesus story is really just a metaphor for like coming together and being loyal and loving and whatever. Um, the passion of the Christ does occur at the end of the show. So for those who don't know, that is just when Jesus died Dies, basically. Yeah. So it's like the week leading up to his death and his death and resurrection. Um Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he's tied to an electric fence to die. The show ends with prepare ye and this like sort of murky reference to the resurrection. So it's not like Jesus Christ Superstar. He doesn't necessarily yeah, come back, come back um, which is a pretty core part of the Christian I, I really, faith. Well, yeah, but it was interesting because I like, I listened to this interview with Stephen Schwartz and I get the feeling that, to begin with, they never bothered doing saying anything no. about it, right? Yeah. It was just like he dies. That's the end that's of the fine. show. And yeah, but obviously there was backlash. They, yes, there was backlash because yeah. people were like, "Oh, but he doesn't come back." And then so they were like, "Well, he bows at the end." That's right. Ooh, maybe. Yeah, like so they just kind of said, "Oh, it's open to interpretation." That's right. Well, yeah. they they stick pretty true to that, and it's also sort of like it's a good leg to stand on to say, "Well, actually, this is not a show about Jesus." Yeah. So it's good 
like I think that's fine and you don't go to Godspell expecting a religious show. Yeah. And uh, um, Stephen Schwartz has also made it quite clear that it's not like Jesus Christ Superstar, for example, which I don't think I realised that they premiered in New York in the same year. Yeah, crazy, now. right? Did you ever think about that? Like yeah. I never really realised that. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it is quite insane. Anyway, um, he said like that is quite, that is a literal story of, yes. it is telling the story of what And there happened. is a story in Jesus Christ yes, Superstar. That's you right. can follow characters and a progression and an arc. Exactly. That doesn't exist in And he's God's like, that's spell. not what we were trying to yeah. do here. Yeah. Like that's not. I would say, like, and people draw this comparison often, but it is very similar to hair in that way. Yes. Where it is just vignettes and more morals and ideals rather yeah. than story and yeah. character. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's what Godspell is. It's not done anywhere near as well as hair. Like, I don't mm. think they achieve oh, what they're going for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because I, I that- would say, oh. In some, but I think it would be easier to do a good production of Godspell now than it would to do a good production of Hair. Yeah, I disagree. I think neither should be attempted <laughs> <laughs> for different reasons. But I think like what Godspell loses that Hair has is a sense of fun, and Godspell needs to be fun and playful in yeah. order for a lot of the a lot of the moments between the songs to make any sense and not be super serious. Yes, true. And it can't be super serious. Like no. it's not like Jesus Christ Superstar where there are moments of great gravity that doesn't exist. God's no, spell. no. Like, and it shouldn't, and it should be quite fun and silly, yeah. like hair. Yeah. But it just, I think, too often is just taken way too seriously. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, so like, not much plot, but yeah, sort of plot. And yeah. all the all the parables that people know, like Lazarus is in there, and you know, like if you if you know the Gospel of Matthew, there's some great stories, and it's all just about like be kind to the poor and like don't be a rich person, or yeah. you know, like all those do sorts unto of others, things. Exactly. Sort of, yeah. Oh, they do the Beatitudes too, if you know what that is. It's when I Jesus literally have no idea what you just said. So like, it's one of the first stories in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus basically talks to a whole bunch of people for the first time in like his public life, and he gives these Beatitudes, which is like a retelling of the Ten Commandments, yeah, which is just like, um, oh, God, now I'm going to forget them. There's a song. But it's like, yeah, you know, give to the poor and there's a whole thing. Yeah, But it's yeah. like be meek and, yeah. Okay. What was it called again? The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. I've literally never I forget that, that that is not like a thing that people – yeah. That people grow up with. Like, it's just so normal for me. So, yeah, it's like, um, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. Like, it's all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Tell me I about know, production. I know so. blessed are the meek because of uh, Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> all right. So, Godspell is a musical composed by Stephen Schwartz with a book by John Michael Tebelak, as I said. I think it's important to say compose. It's really like what I would say, I think sometimes it's credited as music and new lyrics by Stephen Schwartz. Yeah. Because, of course, the lyrics are basically all Episcopal hymns. Like they've literally taken these traditional hymns, the lyrics from them, and turned them into pop songs basically. He has then written other lyrics for certain ones, but lots of them. And also it's like just word for word Bible, a lot of it. It's just like we'll just lift it from this. like Psalms and stuff, right? Yeah. So, but that's fun. Um, We've obviously discussed Stephen Schwartz on here several times before. Uh, (laughs) Josephine's not a fan. I am, I, I am, I have to say, I am. I am. <laughs> Why? Obviously, I love you like Hunchback, um, and I love 
parts of Wicked. We talked about Wicked on here. There are there are there are musicals of his that I do enjoy. For me, I it's think, more like mm, songs. Like yes, there are songs that I enjoy. He can write a fucking song though. Yeah, like he Prince really of can. Egypt. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, Godspell was his very first professional show. Yeah, he was twenty three so when young. it premiered off Broadway. But like when they were in uni, right? Together. Yeah. So no. So this is fascinating. Yes. Yes. And yes, no. Yeah. So fascinatingly, it existed in two iterations before he was even involved. Yes. So the book writer and show director John Michael Tebelak wrote the original version of the show as his master's thesis at Carnegie Mellon University. Mm. Um, I think so. Stephen no, I don't did think also he, he finished. There. Like, I don't think he finished that. Oh, really? Did you read that? No. But, like, he got an honorary degree, I think, later, but he didn't – something about it, like, he didn't finish. The actual master's degree. Yeah. Yeah, right. Hmm. Interesting. And he uh, – yeah, so I think basically the story was he'd gone to this, like he, – he, he was very religious and he knew all the uh, um, Episcopal stuff really well. He considered becoming a minister. And so he'd gone to some Easter service and just – it was, like, not fun. Like, it was, like, not theatrical, not fun. And he was, like, I can make theatre and religion together kind of thing. Like, that was sort of his idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. He what wanted a to marry. And he really, pursuit. that was kind of, like, we'll talk about it, but, like, um, he really was, like, a driving force behind several of the productions that happened. Like, he was really a director more than anything else. Yeah. Um, and he he did go on to direct some other stuff. And, and I think he worked with some churches to make like yeah. theatre kind of plays and stuff. Um, and sadly he died at the only 35 yeah. of a heart attack. Heart attack, that's Yeah, right. so very young. But like he, I think he, di- he directed one of the revivals that was like 10 years later and, yeah, just really sad um, that he died so young. Yeah. So, yeah, so in this original production at Carnegie Mellon, it was performed by students there and the songs were like, written by other students yeah. kind of thing, a lot of the cast members and some other students. There's still some of those in the show. So, um, yeah, so Is one it? of those – I don't know if it was in that version, yeah. but By My Side That's was right. in at La Mama. So La Mama's like a sort of experimental off-Broadway um, yeah. theatre space in New York downtown. It's like the public a bit. Yeah, yeah. and so they, took, they, so they took the show there um, and – Basically, theatre producers, including Edgar Lansbury, who's Angela Lansbury's brother, um, <laughs> became interested in it. And so after that La Mama run, they brought Stephen Schwartz on board. He he told the story. So he had started writing Pippin. He'd started writing Pippin when he was at uni. And he'd been trying to get, like, backers auditions or whatever for Pippin and at some stage had shown some songs from Pippin to these producers. Yeah. And he was like... I reckon he must have, he's like, my name must have been the end of the list. He's like, we'll get that young kid who wrote the weird songs yeah. about Charlemagne. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> he knows about history. Yeah, whatever. yeah, we'll get him in to write this. So he wrote then all new songs um, were written, except they kept this song by my side uh, from the previous version. That's the only yeah. one. The rest of And the rest were, is the rest Schwartz, were new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the show then opened for an open-ended off-Broadway run at the Cherry Lane Theatre uh, on May 17th, 1971, and transferred to the Promenade Theatre three months later, which it then ran for five years. It ran until June wow. 13th, 1976, um, 2,124 performances. I just I hadn't, why. Yeah, I hadn't heard of the Promenade before. I was no. like, oh, where's that? So it closed in 2006. It was up sort of near 76th Street. So, yeah. like, it is amazing all these theatres we read about. Again, Cherry Lane. Cherry Lane still exists. I've seen it. It's, like, downtown. Um, she's pointing, which is really helpful. So, like, uptown she points up, downtown <laughs> she's pointing down. So that's good. 
That's just helpful. don't want you to get confused, Josephine. I appreciate it. Uh, and but yeah, like these theaters, like you know, you don't. Yeah. Now they're just all in this, you know, tiny Real, little. Yeah, it's hard when yeah. I think about yeah how theater was spread out. Anyway. Yeah. So then they decided to transfer it to Broadway, basically. Yeah. So like you'd been off Broadway for five years, and they made the decision. It's so long. Again, I I heard this interview where they said that essentially they realized that more people had seen it in this like kind of US tour in Boston, mm. which played at like a some thousand seat, you know, 2000 seat theater or whatever in Boston it was there for a couple of months. Then had well, even been then had in this entire yeah, off-Broadway right. run. Yeah. So that was why they sort of said, Oh, we, we just want more people to see it. So it transferred to the Broadhurst theater yeah. where it opened on June 22nd, 1976. So it was in 299 seat theater and it was 1185 seats, the Broadhurst. Yeah. Um, what during its Broadway That's run. Such it, a big jump. Yeah. Mm. I know it's crazy. During its Broadway run, it also transferred to the Plymouth Theatre and then to the Ambassador Theatre where it closed on September 4th, 1977 after five previews and 527 performances. Yeah, so, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's all right. It's a couple of years basically. Well, uh, but after being being off Broadway for five years, yeah. like, that's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Um, and by a couple of years, I mean like a year and a half. So it was only nominated for one Tony Award. It has only been nominated for one Tony Award Ever. in its entire existence and that's all it deserves (laughs) which was best score in Mm. 1977 um which it didn't win um nominees were happy end i love my wife and annie which one um i was oh well that's deserved (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't sure if it was eligible for best musical given that it had that extended off broadway run that's true and i couldn't find the answer online so i emailed my friend jen tepper who's an amazing (laughs) historian musical theater historian follow her on social media if you don't already and also buy her books the untold stories of broadway they're amazing she said Crazily enough, Godspell Just Plain wasn't nominated for Best Musical in 1977, even though it was eligible. It was only nominated for one Tony, Best Score, which it lost. There was a different prevailing sentiment around that time that shows about shows considered scrappy and young mm-hmm. that transferred from off-Broadway to Broadway. Greece was really looked down upon in a similar way. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so yeah, it was eligible. Yeah, um, wow. It just, 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 didn't, just didn't get nominated. Didn't cut the mustard. Yeah. So interesting. Um, the first production that opened after the off-Broadway was in Melbourne. Really? Yeah. So it opened at the Playbox Theatre in Melbourne on November 15th, 1971. Yeah, I meant to look it up before now. I'll do I, it right now. I, um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it either doesn't exist anymore or For sure. has become another theatre, right. you know? I hadn't heard of it though. Have you heard of no, it? Never. No, never. All right, stand by. Um, oh, it was. Um, it was on Exhibition Street in Melbourne from 1927 to 1984. Yeah. So just, it's just a theatre that doesn't exist anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's sad. All these theatres, I feel sorry for them. Oh, it looks like it might be something called the Malthouse Theatre. Oh, yeah. Oh, is it there? Malthouse is more like on South Bank, I think. I've been to Malthouse. Oh, I think it like like that site housed Malthouse before uh, then Malthouse That moved. makes sense. The theatre was destroyed by a fire in 1984 and oh. it was later rebuilt as offices. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, it's it's. I've it's seen a couple there. of Malthouse shows, but, yeah, they're now sort of down in the South Bank area. Yeah. Wow. They're a good theatre company, actually. Yeah, they are. Um, so, yeah, so isn't that amazing? It yeah. opened um, in Australia in November 15th and then a second production opened in Sydney. Like, so two running concurrently, like one in Melbourne, one in Sydney in yeah. April 1972. Was this before anything had opened in London? So, uh, funnily enough, 
It opened in London. So it opened in Sydney on uh, Melbourne in November 15th. It mm. opened in London on November 17th. Wow. Okay. 1971. So it first opened at a place called the Roundhouse Theatre, which is in Chalk Farm, London, mm. um, which is kind of near like Camden, yeah, I think, that yeah. sort of way. Um, and then transferred to the West End, um, to the Wyndham's Theatre, where it ran until um, 1975. Um, Jeez, that's Sorry, it closed in 1974 at the Wyndham's, but then came back in 1975 for, like, a three-month run at the Phoenix Theatre. I don't really understand. (laughs) Shows at that time used to do crazy things like that, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amongst others, that original London production featured Jeremy Irons. Yes, Did you read I that? saw that. Um, Julie Covington, David yep. Essex, and Marty Webb. Yeah, wow. Amazing. I have to talk about the Toronto production, which was next. Now, this is legendary, this I don't, production. I've never heard of this. Really? Yep, yep. I've, I think I've posted about it on my Instagram story and, like, okay. specifically. Okay. So Shit. I've, I've been obsessed with this production for years. So. The original cast in London included Victor Garber, yes. who went on to play Jesus in the film, Eugene Levy, yes. Andrea Martin, Gilda Radner, Dave Thomas and Martin Short. The show's musical director was Paul Schaefer, who <laughs> wrote It's Raining Men, was yes. David Letterman's musical director for years, and Howard Shaw played saxophone for the production. What? Like it is insane. What a confluence of people. It's just so crazy. And it's just like, yeah, so it's just basically all of these incredibly talented Toronto comedians, yeah. basically. And they all, yeah, got their – and I remember – See, like, that's the vibe that Godspell needs. Yes, yeah, that's exactly. That's the vibe. Exactly. It's just got to be like all these – yes, and comedians yes, as well, comedians. right? Yes, comedians. got to be like people who are good with their bodies, who exactly. get jokes. Exactly. Not too serious. Yeah, so it's just – it's incredibly famous wow. that this random production – Went on to yeah right yeah nice yeah okay. and I think like I think I remember seeing this interview with Catherine O'Hara who of course is part of all that yeah. group of Canadian comedians as well where it was like she was like yeah I auditioned and didn't get in you know like everyone <laughs> yes. was auditioning but I didn't get in yeah, and like right. it's just funny yeah Jeez. but incredible incredible cast yeah nice just, okay yeah wow how did I not know about so that? what I think I've posted on my Instagram story before is there's just like a picture of the playbill yeah. like of all the cast in the playbill where it's just like. Oh my god! All these people. Yeah, it's a bit like that original Merrily cast. Yes. It kind of reminds me of those vibes. Mm. Anyway, um, it's also. I mean, there's a few. There's all. It, I, I have to say, like in doing this research, I didn't realize there was. It it has been quite revolutionary in different ways in some of these things. So mm. the show went to South Africa in 1973, and Schwartz and Teva like wouldn't let them do the show without featuring both black and white performers at a time when obviously apartheid mm. was still you know very strong. And when the show went to Johannesburg, it was immediately banned. They banned it on the grounds of blasphemy, but it was that it yeah. had a multiracial cast. So the producers, the Limbergs, challenged the ban in the Supreme Court and won their case. Wow. So as a result, Godspell toured South Africa for two years and opened doors to all races on both sides of the footlights. And that production was both a theatrical triumph and a political and legal breakthrough. Like yeah. it was a really big deal in That's South amazing. Africa. That's amazing. Yeah, which I love. Um, the film was released in 1973. Uh, by all accounts, it's a fairly good adaptation. I tried to watch it. I tried to find it to watch it but couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it seems like I, I had a look. I don't think it made money, but, like, no. people consider it to be fairly good. Mm. I don't know what you think, but. You know what I think. You just, yeah. Um, there's been several off-Broadway revivals, but the only other Broadway production was the 2011 re- revival that I mentioned. It ran for about nine months at the Circle in the Square Theatre. 
Um, and it's also worth mentioning the 2020 Berkshire Theatre Group production. So Godspell became the first live show to be approved by the Actors' Equity Association during the COVID-19 oh, pandemic. Oh, that's cool. Um, this production was performed in a tent in the Berkshire Theatre Group's parking lot and it ran from August 6, 2020 until September 20th, 2020. So I remember, like, it was a massive deal because – just like no, like that was at a time when like yeah, no one could shut. imagine. Yeah, in mm. America, like it was crazy. So they had like big that they never interacted with the other actor. Like it was like perspex screens between all the wow. actors, and in, for Tower of Babel, instead of doing normal Tower of Babel, they did like they all talked about what had sort of happened to them in the pandemic. It's yeah, like wow. a different sort of start to the show. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I don't know just some interesting history there. Yeah, that is pretty interesting yeah. actually. Like I, I'm so open to it being an interesting historical. Thing. Yeah. And nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any fun facts? I've got a few. Oh, actually, I can talk a bit more about the biblical stuff if yeah. you want. Um, there is not really any debate, like, over whether Godspell is biblically accurate or not. Like, it's it's sort of just generally agreed that it is just more a piece of, of fiction. Yes. You know, like that is. That happens to be kind of religious in nature. That's right. So yeah. I think anyone who has who knows anything about the show will know definitely like this is not pretending to be religious necessarily. Um, it's like this this subject matter could have been anything really. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, could, it didn't. It, yes. Yeah. It kind of doesn't matter that it's about. Exactly. So yeah. like. Like we said, lots of phrases and quotes come directly from the Bible, but obviously like the modernization of the setting and the disciples and the application of the message of the parables is is really like quite wildly different from yeah. the Bible. Um, so, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a biblical story because of setting. It's, it's, there's lots of reasons, but it is definitely a story about Jesus and his followers, like for sure. Um, it's quite joyful and it really focuses on the message of the Gospels, which is great. Um, and it really focuses on the idea of Jesus as a revolutionary. Like mm. that's the idea is like um, and the sense of community that he created, that's really the major theme. So um, I found some really interesting articles from sort of like um, ex- like I would say Christian extremists talking about mm. God's spell and about just sort of where it differs from the Bible. But And they're all like, they're all pretty like, yeah, God spells a musical, it's fine. But it was just interesting that it sort of needed to be spelled out that this was not a, this is not an accurate representation of the Bible. I I didn't even, I didn't even realize that there would be people out there who maybe needed that spelled out. But yeah, there you go. Um, There's a really great quote from Stephen Schwartz. He said, the content of the show, in contrast to many other retellings of the Jesus story, focuses on Jesus' teachings, what he actually said, and the power of those teachings to lead to a sense of community in a fractured and fractious world. As I've also often said, we would all be a lot better off if today, if many of today's so-called Christians actually paid some attention to what Jesus said and worried less about whether or not belief in him would protect them from death, Mm. which is a great quote. And it's, yeah, it's just like, hey, it's fine that this is not a, a direct representation of the Bible because actually it's probably just taking the best parts of the Jesus story and yeah. um, using them for good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just like, oh, you don't need to read the Bible to get a good idea of this guy and why you should be more like him. Yeah. Um, and that maybe is all it needs to be. Yeah. Interestingly, I had always assumed I think that Stephen Schwartz was a religious person. Yeah. Mostly because like you look at some of the shows he's written, which well, include Children of Eden, Children of Eden and Prince of Egypt, yes, like yes. a lot of these stories, but actually he doesn't consider consider himself a Christian. Mm. Um, he said that in this interview that I listened to. And I just, again, it's just been interested in them yeah. telling them as stories. Yeah. And also like, I think he said like Prince of Egypt, for example, was just obviously like a massive career thing that he couldn't yeah. say no to. But again, Children of Eden and Godspell, he just like 
thought that they were interesting stories to tell. Yeah, well, I like I really loved because I think there was some great interviews around Godspell where he's just like, I really just like them. Like I think Jesus was a good dude and like yeah. I just like that message and it's a really great, it's a great mode to tell people to be better people. Mm. It's just like using the Jesus story that is, that's obvious and makes sense. Yeah. And so like, yeah, that's all it has to be. It's yeah. just like be a better person. Here's one person who did that. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of blasphemy in there for those who believe that Jesus is God. Yeah. Sorry. But yeah, um, I did write down the the philosophers who they play in Tower of oh, Babel. Oh yeah, I, I could, should have listed that. Well, because um, I thought it was interesting because they uh, changed had changed them for some of the revivals. Yeah. So the original production, the philosophers were Socrates, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, Leonardo da Vinci, Edward Gibbon, Jean Paul Sartre, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, Frederick Nietzsche, and Buckminster Fuller. And in the 2001 Off-Broadway revival, Luther Gibbon, Nietzsche and Fuller were replaced by Galileo Galilei, Galilei mm-hmm. Jonathan Edwards, L. Ron Hubbard and Marion Williamson. Oh. Which I didn't – I know that sounds funny, but I mostly know Marion Williamson as being like when she ran for president a few years ago. Yeah. And being a bit unhinged. But I knew she was kind of like a spiritual Would, whatever. Yeah, could we call but her I, a- I didn't realise she was like – that famous if that makes sense no me neither yeah. i always i thought yeah so and then the 2011 revival it retains galilei hubbard and williamson but restored gibbon and replaced da vinci with george hegel hmm. Hmm, who I just don't like know. random choices yeah in every list that i read with like of those names it was always like oh okay yes yes what like why yeah it's it's weird. Yeah. And what is the purpose of Tower of Babel? Like what you I know, know it's um like I said, it was left out of the original cast recording and it is often omitted. Um and according to Stephen Schwartz, it's not to diminish the importance of the number. Like he still considers that it's a really important number yeah, in the show. I read that, yeah. Um but it is strange. I think it's weird. Yeah, same. And I don't think like, I think it if offers, I was doing the show I wouldn't include it. It's not a value add. Yeah. Like what why? I don't yeah. It feels like sort of being trying wanky. to be cerebral without yeah, exactly. yeah, actually achieving it. Um, I just a random one, but the 2011 revival was at the Circle in the Square Theatre, mm. which is like basically underneath the theatre, the Gershwin Theatre, yeah. which Wicked is in, like just across like a parking garage basically from them. Um, and so he had sort of a, 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 a show, show upstairs and a show downstairs, which was quite That's cool. cool. For him, for Stephen Schwartz, good on you. Good on you, Stephen. Yeah. Um, do you know the film was Victor Garber's film debut? Oh, did it? Yeah, I yeah. love Victor Garber, by the way. Can we Me talk too. about oh. how great he is? What a legend. First yeah. Wives Club, one of his best performances. <laughs> <laughs> and he's really good in Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's great in everything. He's awesome. But, yeah, yeah, that was his film debut. That's awesome. Um, the song All for the Best was partly filmed on top of the World Trade Center, which was still in construction at the oh, time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Which is cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I um in terms of the film, so beautiful city, which yeah. I'm sure Josephine and I will argue is probably both of our favourite song in the show. It's the most beautiful song. Yeah, yeah. Um was was written for the film. Um and it was actually rewritten in 1993 after the Rodney King riots mm-hmm. in LA. Yeah. And um Steve Schwartz has gone on the record as saying like don't use the original lyrics, use these new yeah. ones. I don't want you to use the original ones, basically. Yeah. Um, and in the film it follows Alas for You and By My Side, omitting the parable typically found between these two numbers. Yeah. He seems quite open to where it falls if you do include it in the show. Yeah, sometimes it's sort of later in the show. Yeah. Um, and There's like a day-by-day reprise that it sometimes replaces. Yes. Yeah, which is like it's cool. It's up to 
it's up to, I was reading, it's up to the sort of the style of the production. But mm. once again, this is where I think the show can take itself too seriously, um, where it starts to really um, get quite heavy in the in the back end of the yeah. show. And yeah. And because he did say, like, it kind of has to be in the second act because, like, the city hasn't been built by the That's people right. until then. You That's know, right. like, you can't argue that in the first act. Yeah. I mean, it's just a stunning song. But yeah, yeah. I, I have trouble sort of, because I love the song so much. I have trouble dissing it, but I don't know if it belongs in in the show. Mm, like I, I just don't know if it fits. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, back to the film. Robin Lamont was in the film, the off Broadway and original Broadway cast. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, so good honor. They didn't have many fun facts. I don't know about you. But, oh, what else? Um, oh, I, this is not that fun, but it's sad. The Broadway revival was like fully panned. Did you read some of the yeah, reviews? Yeah, it got. And actually, let's let's talk about that because one of the things that it really um, sort of came across to me researching the show was I do, I think this show works better as a community theatre yeah. slash school production than it does as a professional show. Yes, I agree. And I, I really felt that. Like I reread, I reread the New York Times review um, of, of Godspell. Uh, the Revival. The revival yeah. Sorry. And, and even I did re I read the original production as well yeah. that review and there's just this like sense of it being like too childish yeah. too silly you know like mm. too and and that's the sort of thing that obviously you can get away with in community theater that sort of sense of play and yeah. I think they really felt with that 2011 revival that they just sort of threw everything but the kitchen sink at yeah. it and that to didn't really work, work. Yeah. yeah and and because you know like we said so let's say for example you can put beautiful city wherever you want you can put local references in yeah you would generally call the cast their real names except for jesus and judas yeah um things like that give it this air of almost a panto yeah right? yeah and that just in professional theater is such a hard line to walk definitely definitely and i don't know like because i've reflected on this a lot i don't know what it is about hair that succeeds mm. at doing that thing that's the exact thing we're talking about that hair manages to do yeah that I don't think any other show can do it. Yeah. Like I just don't think it, it – you're right. Like it's a great amateur show. It's a great like for a school or for a, a church to put on, but like it just doesn't – yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. And it's always either panned for being too serious or too silly. Yeah. So like what do you want? But anyway, those reviews were just scathing. Yeah. I can't really get over the fact though that a lot of the reviews said that Hunter Parrish can't sing. And I wonder if he's actually just really bad live because he's got one of the most beautiful voices on the mm, recording. I, I also get the feeling. So Hunter Parrish, who played Jesus in that 2011 revival. In fact, let's talk about that cast quickly for a second yeah. because so Hunter Parrish was the original Jesus. He was replaced by Corbin Blue like during the run of the show. We're talking about the revival, yeah. Yeah, the, the 2011 revival. Um, Hunter Parrish, if you ever watch the TV show Weeds, he was, um, one, of, he was one of the sons in that. Mm. And he is, A, I think a beautiful creature to look at. At. Very. But B, yeah, has a stunning voice. Stunning. I, I will say that he maybe doesn't have like a massive range. Um, no. So like it might just be one of those. So like I think Beautiful City, for example, is perfect for him. Perfect for him. And it just sounds flawless. Like yes. it's stunning. It's magnificent. Yeah. But yeah, like. But I think it's like a lass for you mm. is a bit out of, like maybe not as strong, things yeah. like that. But also in that um, in that revival was say like Uzo Aduba, who some oh, people yes. would know from like Orange is the New Black. She's amazing in that. Lindsay Mendez, of course, at the time, I I think that was maybe her Broadway or not not her 
know because I think she was in Everyday Rapture. Yeah. Um, but, but she. It's like one of her first. Uh, like yeah. early in her career, of course, went on to play Elphaba. Like, like I think that is when he saw her and was like, oh, this girl would be an amazing Elphaba, you know, yes. Stephen Schwartz, I mean. Yes. Um, and, you know, has won a Tony since for Carousel. Uh, who else? Uh, George Salazar, who of course sings Michael in the bathroom yeah. from Be More Chill. Just, Just a like, great cast. Yeah, great cast. So that cast recording is a joy to listen it to. It is. It's a joy. And, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but like I did try and listen to some of those other recordings oh, it was during hard the week. to get through, yeah. wasn't it? And I was like, oh, like they did a good job reorchestrating this. Yeah, they did. Like uh, what I would say about this show is like probably don't see it. Definitely listen to yeah, this listen cast to that recording. 2011 it's revival. just beautiful. And what is great about the show too is like, I just love that everyone has a song. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Like, so if you don't like one person's voice, don't worry. Um, unless Morgan Jesus. James, who sings "Turn Back, Oh Man," yes. in the, who has an incredible voice. Um, she's actually gone on like she sings with is it, it postmodern jukebox? That's what they're called, yeah. right? Like that, you know, they do those sort of sort of funky covers of things. She sings with them all the time. There was even something happened where she didn't open it. Ugh, some her under study opened and there was talk that it was so panned that maybe she wouldn't even get a go because it would close wow like it was that was that sort of hated but she did and she was awesome obviously but yeah yeah, hmm. yeah right so um, do you have any gateway songs well no, i've got a couple of other things i want to oh, ch- okay. chat about first um one thing that i was marveling at while researching this was just how quickly shows were rolled out around the world 50 years ago compared oh, yeah. to now so, you know, they opened in May in May 1971 in New York and then in Melbourne and London in November 1971. I was just thinking about, like, there's just no world in which that happens no. now. So, like, the paperwork alone to get the rights would take that long, yeah. you know, for starters. Securing a theatre, casting, yeah. rehearsing, like, that is always, like, a few years at least, even if you started straight yeah. away. Yeah. You know, it's like... It's it so is- true. Like, what... Were they just missing a whole bunch of steps? They must yeah. have been. They must have just been like, we'll, well just pop I this on. I also just think um, stuff like theatres would sit empty then yeah. and no one sort of thought twice about it. So it's like, oh, we've got this theatre. We'll chuck yeah. it in there. That wouldn't have been a big deal. Yeah. The economics were such that you could put it on in a 300-seat theatre and, yeah. and no one, you know, yeah. things like that. But even just like now, obviously – you need to make sure that the, it's a replica production, mm. right? So the production is exactly the same. Mm. And back then that wouldn't have mattered no. either. Well, like who's going to see the 1971 right, production no in one. New York and Melbourne? Exactly. You know, like- um, I also just want to say that if you ever wanted to know anything about Stephen Schwartz or any of his shows, please his visit stephenschwartz.com. He had a forum obviously on his old website where people could send in questions and he quite routinely would answer them. It's so cute. It's so cute. And and they've taken all of that and, and put it on these PDFs on his website and there is just pages yeah. and pages of it. Yeah. Like you just go to the show that you're interested in and then there's all these links to Q&A. Yeah, it's amazing, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I I'd love forgot, him. I'd, I remember it. I must have found it during Wicked or, like, one of the other shows that we've done. Yeah. And I was just like, I forgot this existed. It's just so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. it makes me think that he's probably just, like, a really nice old man. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I yeah. think he is really lovely, actually. Yeah, from every, Everything is. I've read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I will link to – there's four cast recordings that seemed worth linking to on Spotify. Yes. There's the 2011 Broadway Revival. There's the original off-Broadway recording. 
There's a 2001 US tour cast, which interestingly, Alex Lacamoire did the arrangements for. Oh, nice. Gosh, she um, must have been young. Yeah. And the original film soundtrack as well. Yeah, nice. So they're all available on Spotify. There's some dodgy ones there too. Um, my Gateway songs were fairly similar to yours. You do yours first. Um, I've got Bless the Lord, All for the Best and Beautiful City. Yeah. So um, obviously – Beautiful city, like, just stunning. Mm. I've also gone with Bless the Lord. Love it. Um, such a good song. That's Lindsay Mendez's song it's in the a show. Banger. She does a kick-ass job of it. Yeah. I've also just chucked in Save the People as oh, kind yeah, of like nice. Jesus's. And I love that, that breakdown it does at the end. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's a few of those that I think are... Yeah. Uh, th- th- I mean, there's some great songs in this show. Great really, songs. Really, there are. I would say, like, in terms of gateway, I don't think Beautiful City is a gateway into <laughs> Godspell. But no. it's beautiful. I want you to listen to it. I but, just like, want... Definitely if you don't know Lord, that song, yeah. like, it listen is such a good song. But, yeah, like, the others are, like, oh, this is quintessential Godspell. Yes. But if you if you like Pippin, you'll like Godspell. Like, it's that sort of show. Yeah. You know, like, it's got the yeah, same vibe. Definitely, and, yeah, definitely. It was interesting. There was a whole I – got, I got really trapped on those message boards on Broadway World because they're so catty. Yes. But someone asked – they were auditioning for a production of Godspell and asked what audition songs they should audition with. And so many people said Wicked. And I, as I was reading, I was like, What? Yeah. Like if you were auditioning for God's play, no. you would absolutely, it is not the right show. But yeah. eventually a few people came in and were like, no, do not do Wicked. Like definitely Pippin, but what the, like what are you thinking? Yeah. Or even like um, the magic, you know, like Baker's Wife or the yeah. magic show, like some of his that, that stuff. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. I find that very strange. <laughs> yeah. So then this chick came back and was like, yeah, three other girls did no good deed. Like Ooh. for God's spell? Weird. Yeah, that's a funny, anyway. People are weird. Yeah. Anyway, so we're setting up a business consulting on audition songs. (laughs) If you want any help, we'll just basically say, no, no, bad choice, terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But look, yeah, look, I don't, I don't um, love Godspell. I don't hate it. Yeah. And I'm also not really indifferent to it. I'm just like, I'm glad that it exists in the world. Yeah, it's one of those shows. It's like, you know what? It's so many people's gateway in too. Like I know so many people who love it so much and great, like good on you. And I I don't know if you found that New York Times article that was like obviously written when the revival was coming out, but it was – it was just basically like how many people it was like the, one of their first shows. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because it gets done so often in America. Yeah. So they've interviewed all these different Broadway stars yeah. and movie stars. and It's yeah. one of those shows that's like always in the, like it's just always been in the vernacular. Yeah. You know. And as you say, everyone gets a song. Yeah, which is so nice. So it's really good like that. Some of those songs, man. Like I said to you, I'd love to do Turn Back Over. Yeah. Mm. And I like, yeah, I love Bless the Lord. It's funny because day by day – is definitely the most famous. It's the most boring too. But it's too. so boring. Yeah, so boring. I didn't, put it a, I didn't put it as a gateway because I was just like, yeah, like you know this song and it's not very and interesting. And also like the first four seconds are the whole song. That's yeah. it. It's just that it's over like and I over. I didn't realise because pre- Prepare You the Way of the Lord doesn't have any other lyrics. I know. It's very repetitive. <laughs> I had to sing it once as like for an opening of an actual church. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think at the time like I was young enough to be like, yeah, sure, whatever, but also old enough to be like, Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, is this the song you want me to? Oh, well. Okay. That's fine. Good Why don't I sing Turn Back, Oh Man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, Godspell, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Ruth. Thanks, Josephine. I've enjoyed our Godspell chat. Do you know what's next time? I think it might be Carousel. Oh, okay. We've got to do it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Do I have to watch the film? Okay, I will. Well, I've never seen it, so I think I will. <gasps> I, no. Um, Are you going to watch Gordon McRae? Should I watch the film or should I watch it? Oh, no, I'll probably watch a pro shot, I think. Also watch the film. Okay. Two. Lots of ca- Carousel. Okay.
Two is too much. I, do, you, do you like the film? Yeah, I like all. I like all um, Golden Age movie musicals. Okay, but you don't like Carousel as a show. No, 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 no. Okay, but I think it is beautiful. Okay, but I don't like it because of the okay. domestic violence. Yes, <laughs> because of the <laughs> terrible themes. Um, but it's beautiful. Yeah, oh, I've, never, I've never seen it. I'm looking forward to this actually. Talking about Carousel. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, well, I'll see you then. I'll see you then. Okay. Bye. Bye.